And we're live. Welcome to Don't Be Coy. I'm your host, Uncle Lou. And today I have the honor, pleasure, and the utmost appreciation to have with me today, Miss Danielle Williams. Danielle, thank you for being on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful. Super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's good. That's good. How was your previous week? My previous week was hectic, but we learned a lot and we are getting things done. So <laughs> it was a good week. <laughs> I totally understand that. So for the people at home, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I am currently a second year doctoral student at the University of Chapel Hill, um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, sorry. And I am in the microbiology and immunology program. I study HIV and the central nervous system or brain. Um, and I just recently launched a, what I, I think is the first self-help journal specifically catered towards doctoral students um, with the goal of sort of changing academic culture you know, one person at a time. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit today. So like what made you decide to to start a journal? Um, so honestly, <laughs> it's a very long story. I'll give you the brief version. And that is I initially wanted to just sell an informational book about gratitude um, mm. because I felt like that was sort of a reoccurring theme throughout my journey in academia and bringing me back to center. Um, and so I started there and then I realized, you know, I've done a lot of work and I could probably pull together many of the different resources I've used in terms of personal development and just journaling on my own and using other resources and cater that specifically toward doctoral students mm -hmm. and just give that to people instead. Um, and so it started with just an informational pamphlet and then s slowly grew into this journal. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really interested as far as around like changing the academic culture and like, um, around like just this whole aspect around what you were perceiving or experiencing beforehand and like some of the inspiration and like things of that nature. Yeah. So I... So I initially had my first experience, first real research experience in academia when I moved to Seattle for a post-bac position. And that first year was extremely tumultuous. I joined a lab and didn't really know that mentorship was like the single most important thing in a research lab. And so I joined it because it had cool science and um, I knew that I would be able to get experience and things of that nature, but it quickly turned into a very toxic situation in which there were no boundaries and um, not really any guidance, especially being from um, a first generation, um, being a first generation graduate student. And then on top of that, I. I realized I didn't have a good understanding of why I was actually here. Like many of the reasons I decided to pursue research, like they didn't hold up in that toxic environment. Like they were not good enough whys. Um, and so after that experience, 
I realized, you know, I need a stronger why. Not only that, but I need to be able to articulate why I want to be here um, based on my past experiences, what I want to do in the future, who am I as a person, how can I fit into this academic space? Just all of these questions arise as, as a result of this experience because I was extremely passionate about research. I knew like I wanted to get a PhD. Like that was, the, I'd wanted to do that for nearly a decade. So I had to figure out a way to be able to do that. And this was my way. It's so redefining my why and working on myself from the inside out. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up getting into a much better situation for the second year of my post back. Um, and I realized at that point, even though I had redefined my why, I was on a better track, I still had a lot of trauma left from the previous experience. And so with that, I, I kind of noticed people around me also had very traumatic experiences in academia. And it's a really difficult environment to not only prevent new trauma, but then also heal from previ previous trauma. And that's what really led me to dive deeper into journaling and personal growth and just becoming extremely resilient and resistant to a lot of the impact that academia can have on a student. Um, and that was the foundation of this journal is I had gotten to my get, gotten myself to a place when I started graduate school that I was able to shape my environment as opposed to the environment shaping me. And so I'm like, if I can do this, you know, and I started out what I felt like in a very weak position, then many of the people around me can likely do the same thing. Um, and so that, I guess that's the main inspiration for this journal is just wanting to help other people who feel helpless, mm. who feel like they have lost their why in all of this, but they're stuck. They're feeling stuck. Um, and this is an opportunity. The journal is opportunity for them to dig deep, to figure out why they're here, to regain their sense of power in this environment that has made them powerless. Yeah. No, I really like that there, especially when you talk about like um, one of the challenges in academia, you realize that you had to develop that stronger sense of why and also noticing like the sense of trauma when it comes to like graduate school. You know, I mm -hmm. know that um, that trying to transition from undergrad to graduate school or just from the working world into graduate school it's always tumultuous, right? It's like one of those things that has a lot of turmoils that um, causes an individual to um, make a lot of different kind of shifts because you're making this investment towards yourself because you see yourself in a different light, whether it is you want to make a better future for yourself, you want to change the world with a certain type of science or type of bring something to the world with this type of academia background, and it kind of forces you to put yourself in a place where you're away from your community. You're focused on um, your uh, have the blinders on to what's going on in the world rather and have to focus um, deep down into the books because it's a whole different playing field than it was whenever you were an undergrad or whenever you're just living regular life in general. And so I, I think 
Um, there's two things that I really want to talk about when it comes to your book, um, Infinity Gratitude. Um, you know, one is kind of more of this inspiration of like journaling and like your personal story around it and like kind of your approach. And then I want to go a little bit deeper into the book itself and then kind of highlight some of the um, key features that I noticed in it as far as mindfulness, gratitude, and just overall personal growth and like how um, this book can help transform an individual through that aspect of journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, when I was reflecting more deeply, I realized that gratitude is what centered me um, and not so much thinking about or, or focusing on what in my life at this present time am I grateful for, despite maybe not being in the best situation. And that has happened, you know, throughout undergrad, during my post bag, currently in graduate school, it's been gratitude that centered me. And so that's why um, I named my business Infinite Gratitude, because it's just a re- reoccurring theme. And in terms of journaling, I also feel like whenever things were chaotic, even throughout undergrad, even throughout high school, I would always go back to journaling and just writing down my thoughts to um, untangle the clutter, um, the, the dissonance, whatever was going on, and then also to get reorganized. Like I, mm. I find that it's, it's a good thing to write everything down. I may vent in my journal. I may say some very negative things. Um, but I always come to realize like, but what am I going to do about it? And so that's where the organizational piece comes in, where I create to-do lists and I create a plan. Um, and so you have this gratitude and personal growth that I always came back to, to figure out, to pivot, you know, when, when things got complicated. Yeah, I really like that, especially this whole concept around uncluttering and reorganizing. It's kind of like cleaning, right? Or spring cleaning. Like mm-hmm. we we all kind of do this. And it. my mom always says that uh, if you really want a house to feel comfortable or a home or a place wherever you stay to feel comfortable, cleaning makes it cooler. It makes it warmer when it's cold. Like it does everything that you really need it to do. And so what I'm hearing you say is that like journaling does that same aspect for you as a way to unclutter like the various different thoughts that may be coming in your mind, but then also reorganizing them um, and potentially compartmentalizing them in a, to a place in where um, they can be approached in a um, systematic form or whatever is most appeasable to you. Am I understanding mm-hmm. that correctly? Yes. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love it. So like, for mindfulness, um, when we're talking about the book, like I, I have a very limited scope of that. I know it has a lot to do with meditation and being present, but like, um, how does mindfulness play a role into your journal? Yeah. So I think that this kind of confuses people because they ask, like, are you talking about the PhD student, like the mindful PhD student, or are you talking about the actual doctoral program and I'm, I'm referring to both uh to be honest is um on one side of things as a mindful student you are capable of you know checking in with yourself especially in times where you feel 
high anxiety or you, you have feelings of depression, you're able to check in with yourself. You're able to stop, you know, a moment in time where it's extremely high stress and bring yourself back to center, whether that be expressing gratitude or doing a physical uh, body scan or whatever the case may be. So learning that sort of mindfulness technique is, is really an emphasis within the journal. And then in addition to that, you have the Mindful PhD, the actual program in which this is something that I'd like to implement uh, further down the line. But for now, I'm hoping that students gain the ability to really organize their journey and be mindful and intentional of the things that they are doing. For instance, you know, in academia, there's a million opportunities. There are a million organizations, all of these things that you could choose from. But if you realize why you're here, um, what led you to this journey, if you, you know, are focusing on who you're becoming, then you'll only add things to your plate that are going to be intentional in creating this person that you want to be. And that's going to be a mindful PhD, like the actual mm. program is catered to you, your personal goals, your character traits, your core values. And I mean, I think overall, that's exactly what it is, except the PhD program is shaping the student as opposed to the student shaping the program um, to what they need. Yeah. And so I really want people to realize like, this is something that you can do from the inside out. It doesn't have to impact you from the outside in. Yeah, I really like that. And while you were talking, I was kind of reflecting on my own journey, like how when one is kind of going into a program, right? Whether it is um, a new journey, whether it is a PhD program, whether it's any kind of event where um, there's some structure around to it, there is always the infrastructure that's already been built, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we go into it thinking that that system or that process is going to like get us to where we need it to be. And oftentimes we find ourselves um, kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Because it's like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Why isn't this like giving me the fulfillment or filling my cup in a way that I initially thought? And what I'm hearing you say is it's like, you know, you initially have to have that why when you're going into your PhD program or going into your program in general. And whenever you're beginning that particular journey, like um, realizing and being consistent with that why helps you get a broader perspective and being mindful in the program allows you to take on the different opportunities to help shape that program for what's best for you. I know for me, for example, like I got my master's in public health, but like traditionally most people who get their master's in public health are going into a space of either um, working into the field itself, going into medicine, things of that nature. And I kind of took a different route by going into healthcare administration and looking at that at a way to say like, um, there's a lot to do with like how population health and data analytics can help in driving around um, how our systems of healthcare organizations are being developed. And so mm -hmm. I really, really like that kind of intentionality um, around mm -hmm. that. So like, I'm, I'm curious around what started your, your mindfulness journey. Mm 
Oh, yeah. Um, I think, so I, I, I hesitate a little bit because there are many things that started it because it has started and stopped and started and stopped again. Yeah. But I think one of the main things that started it was my best friend, Kai Pen. She was into yoga and she studied Buddhist psychology and all of these things. And she would tell me, you know, about meditation, but I, I wasn't really open to it. Um, and then finally, I took a Buddhist psychology class with Dr. Lori Stewart. I will never forget her um, at San Diego State. And I think that's what really triggered it or like set it in, into stone um, that I could pause at any moment in time and focus on my breath and everything just sort of slowed down. Um, and I could feel myself feeling, you know, I wasn't moving fast. I, I was able to slow down and I think that was the inception. And so sometimes I would come back to that moment. Sometimes things would get so hectic that I would forget, but when things got way too overwhelming, I always came back to that mindfulness and meditation. I think, uh, one of the really big players that, that got me on to consistently meditating is Sheila Marie. She came out with a meditation mixtape and I think about 2016, 2017, and she's black. And it was something that I could relate to because what she was saying was very pertinent to my life at the time. Um, and so it wasn't in the traditional sense of meditation, just like gongs in the background. It was something that I could really get into. And so that was another thing that kept me on the mindfulness and meditation path and inspired me to dig more deeply. Um, yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that, especially like um, thinking about just in one when one is being mindful, it's kind of like that same aspect of journaling, right? Like I'm. I'm curious to around like your whole overarching process, but if I'm hearing you correctly, like being mindful and being present is not only just like, as you were saying, not just listening to the gongs in the background or reciting certain things, but it's being aware around um, like yourself and your, your whole physiology listening to your breath, right. potentially listening to your heartbeat. If it's, you know, if you can get that deep into it, um, mm -hmm. being aware of just like your surroundings and just being fully present. And so like, I'm curious, like when thinking about this journal or just journaling as a, as a whole, how does one get into that state of, as they call it, Zen so that one can be mindful of their thoughts because I can see how, if one is being faced with like a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress, like that clutterness, it's like coming everywhere, right? Angst is a, is a real thing when it comes to um, just any kind of turmoil. And so how can one enter that state of Zen to be able to take all of those cluttering thoughts and all of that angst and focus it to be able to write it down not necessarily in a coherent way, because I think we'll get to that later, but just to be mm -hmm. able to be present in it and mindful of all the different random topics that's coming in one's head. 
Yeah, that's a super good question. And I think <laughs> it's something that I need to relay better to my audience, I feel, because it's a practice. Um, it doesn't just happen the first or second or third time. And really, a lot of the literature I've read has alluded to, like, it. it's not going to be an X number of times that you practice it, that it's going to come fluidly. Sometimes it doesn't come fluidly at all. But um, I think the first step is just like a bite-sized piece. So... Um, for instance, the first journal prompt is list five experiences you're grateful for. Everything, everyone has memory of experiences that they may have cherished or it, it's, it could be something simple. It doesn't have to be anything um, super significant, just something to bring, you know, that good feeling. Um, and that's mindfulness. Right? You're taking yourself out of what's happening around you to remember a good experience. Um, and then let's see, what else, what other question did you say? Oh, oh, well, I'll go back to the fact that it's a practice. And so the journal also um, states that it is a practice. And so to be gentle with yourself, to use self-compassion, there's no such thing as meditating or being mindful the right way. It's whatever you feel um, is helpful in that moment. Yeah. Um, another thing is that um, the journal has several prompts or encourages the user to just check in with how they feel. I think that's a really simple way of being mindful. Um, even if it's not in a heated situation, sometimes I'll just be cooking and ask myself, how do I feel in this moment? Like, do I feel good about what I'm doing? Do I feel uneasy? Is there anything that is unsettling about my experience right now? Is there anything that I'm ignoring? Is really just checking in with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think... I think, did that answer the question? Yeah, no, that does answer okay. the question. I, I really like this whole concept of like a check-in. And so I think about like, um, we're kind of like a vehicle, right? And doing like a total body tune-up. And so like, mm -hmm. whenever we're taking our body to the shop and that shop can be anything, right? Like, as you were mentioning, it can be just sitting, sitting down, practicing it and saying like, okay, I'm meditating now, or it can be in the middle of an act as far as like cooking or cleaning or something like that. And I think that there's something there um, that I kind of want to extract a little bit more around like the mundaneness and like how we can find peace and like mm -hmm. being able to practice, do something that we can practice over and over and over again to where it becomes second nature. And then being able to take that second step and being present in that moment as far as yourself because i think oftentimes we get lost in the lost in the sauce really and lost in the um the repetitiveness and mundaneness of that life brings not to say that like life is a boring thing but you know we essentially do the same things all over and over again we wake up we eat we go interact with some people maybe not go to sleep and there's this constant wake up and go to sleep um, like reaction that we're constantly doing. And so like 
Um, what was that moment for you that made you realize, hey, I want to um, break this cycle and make a change for um, myself and my personal growth? Um, I think there were sev several defining moments. I think that the scariest moment that I made this realization is when um, I blacked out on the way home from lab and I woke up in my bed and I didn't, I didn't remember how I got there. Um, that was a moment where I was like, okay, I need to do something drastic. Um, and I need to get serious about my mental health and uh, my personal growth because I don't want to stay here. This is a scary place. Yeah. Um, and so from there, that's when I started journaling. Um, I started reading The Wise Heart, which is like my go-to Buddhist psychology textbook. I started therapy and I got really intentional about how I was planning my day. And like you said, the the routine, the schedule, it it became very consistent. And so I think that often it seems kind of boring, but I really relied on that stability and then being grateful in those moments of, I, I guess, mundaneness. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to <laughs> say it, but uh, to appreciate the routine, to appreciate the stability, um, because I know I knew what it was like to have instability and to have chaos and I didn't want that so there's that is is expressing gratitude even though the r routine seems um, very consistent very boring and then I was also going to bring up another point and that is when we get to know ourselves um, we're able to do things for ourselves that we enjoy so I'll, I'll go back to cooking but it's one of the reasons I take so much time and care in my meal planning not only because I enjoy cooking, but then I'm able to enjoy the food that I'm eating, regardless if I, you know, me I meal prep every Sunday, I go to the grocery store every Saturday. Those are things that I do, you know, consistently every week. And then I eat the same meal for six days consistently. Um, and I realized that routine could be like kind of blech if, you know, you're not taking time to really pay attention to what you like and you're just doing things out of necessity. So that's one of the things. And then like working out, I really like to lift heavy. And so when I plan my workouts, I'm thinking of ways that I can excite myself, you know, that I like things that I like to do so that when I do that, I'm like, this is hard, but it's really fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'll work out consistently. I'll do those same workouts for four for a four week sequence. And um, I think that's another component of my book that will allow students to get to know themselves so that even in the midst of a routine, they're able to be mindful and enjoy themselves and be grateful for what they're doing. Yeah, no, I really like that. And thank you for sharing that experience that you have, that you had rather, um, because I think that brings up another key point around like just stress reduction and like the whole mm -hmm. concept around mindfulness in itself, right? Like you expressed yeah. like um 
your situation that is kind of like one of the extremes, right? To where stress or whatever is going on in your life reaches such to a point that you essentially black out. And, you know, to be able to not reach that point again, or even like um, the the in-betweens, right? Like where it can be as small as just the little angst that you feel in your heart that's like, hmm, I feel a little bit uneasy to just essentially blacking out. Like, um, what is one of the ways that we can use this tool that you've created, your your journal, to help with that stress reduction for like identifying, confronting, and even potentially reducing stress? Yeah, um, so there are a number, like this is a very complex thing to address. Um, I will just list a couple of ways. One of them is identifying triggers, um, which there's an exercise or sort of like uh, an informational piece within the book that talks about how to identify triggers, um, what that experience is like. And because students are in this incubator, this environment for five years, it's really difficult to avoid triggers. So we have to train ourselves in some capacity to recognize them and then respond in a manner that's not going to escalate the situation or trigger, you know, a physical response. And so that's that's one way. I think um, another way to to reduce stress is like genuine self care, and that's that also comes back to identity and knowing who you are and what you enjoy to do doing outside of lab or outside of your studies. And there was a period of time; it, it was actually last semester where I probably used at least two to three of my healthy coping mechanisms every single day to get through, to make it through to the next day, to the next week, because that semester was just draining. Um, And so for me, that's taking walks with Stella, my dog. Um, That's also, like I said, cooking, making like a really good healthy meal for myself, or going to the gym and lifting really heavy. Those are my ways of self-care. Additionally, this is something that people don't like to hear, but is a, a huge factor in reducing your stress, and that is getting organized. Um, I know that can be a daunting task, especially when you have so many things on your plate, but it, it allows you to see more clearly the steps you need to take, which reduces stress. If you're living in clutter, if your mind is cluttered, then you can't see the next step. And that's really stressful. Um, And additionally, on top of getting organized is prioritizing. And so that's another thing that my book also outlines is, okay, what are your goals? And let's prioritize those goals because you can have all the goals in the world, but if you don't have the order in which you're going to tackle each one, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a pretty pretty extensive list on things to reduce stress, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I was just about <laughs> in, to say. In addition to meditation and mindfulness, but those are like the tangible ways that I really wanted to focus on throughout the journal because it's easy to say, oh, just reduce your stress, but how do I do that? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And like I was just about to say, like you're dropping a lot of gems here and I want to to make sure that like I appreciate every single one of them. And 
one of the first ones that you mentioned is like identifying triggers and like you know i think um triggers are a weird thing right because like we all have things that make us react a certain type of way and like as we get older hopefully (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we we realize that the way we react to certain things there's appropriate and inappropriate ways but like um just because we're not externally expressing ourselves in a way that you know um is uh inappropriate or a way that is detrimental to ourselves or those around us we might be harboring that in and it Mm -hmm. becomes something that we're dealing with internally and like um, there's a lot of physio- physiological issues that one can d- have whenever they've engaged in some triggers and uh, they're not responding to them correctly. And so I guess my question is, is just like whenever one does identify those triggers, like it's kind of hard to, um, I guess you could say, identify the uh, it's easy to identify, I'll say the ones that impact us the greatest, but it gets a little harder whenever it's like those little pin needles that triggers that um, come to us that are fashions of ways that um, give us those internal, um, how do you say, uh, reservation, reservations, if you will. And so, so I guess one of my questions is that I'm asking to you is, when it comes to identifying those triggers, big and small, um, what are some of the ways that um, we can utilize your journal or just utilize um, utilize meditation as a whole um, to identify what those may be? Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that I, I sort of touched on touched on earlier is just checking in with yourself. Um, so sometimes, like you said, it may be subtle, but there, there are days where you realize like by the end of the day, you're just drained, right? Mm -hmm. You have had all these encounters with people and, you know, these obstacles, just tiny things, you know, drop a pin here, shirt gets caught on the door there, you know, all kinds of things. And so throughout the next day, what I would recommend is that you pay attention to how you feel when each of those things happen and take them as they come. Mm. So say, you know, 8 a.m. someone makes a comment and you feel uneasy about it. Like take a step back and allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling and let it go. That way it's not building up throughout the day. Um, and, And we can do the same things with big triggers, small triggers, whatever, is just take them in stride. And when we practice checking in with ourselves, that gets easier. And we're able to recognize that that little voice or those physical responses that are saying like, oh, I don't feel so good about this because we know how it feels to feel good. Um, I think that's is that the answer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the journal. Um, so there's another, there's another component of the journal that reflects on your previous experiences and understanding how you feel about them. So for instance, there's a journal prompt that asks, you know, recall a time in lab where 
you uh, made a mistake and someone reacted in a way that didn't make you feel good, how would you have wanted them to react? And so understanding those situations on an intimate level or being able to reflect back to those situations and say, I can identify this person is reacting in a way that I don't feel good about. I, I realize the way I would like them to react. I've already written about it. I've already reflected on an instance like this. And so in those moments when you're being triggered or when that occurrence is happening, you can say or you can respond in a way that's reflective of that self-awareness. And it's very empowering. Um, and when you practice that over and over again, it just gets stronger and better. And you're able to handle these situations with a lot more ease, despite having previous trauma. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I really like, um, and this kind of goes into um, the second jewel that you dropped a little bit earlier around like genuine self care. But I really like that approach around like, understanding like the triggers and using that kind of self-care because really at the end of the day we only have um our cup right like if we if we look at ourselves as kind of like um into a a metaphysical cup and thinking about it as um our capacity for the day those little triggers those little things those kind of fill our cup with that negativity and to the point where by the end of the day, our cup is filled with like that kind of negativity. And then um, I hear you saying kind of two things. One, you can either pour it out to say like, hey, I want to pour out all this negativity. And like every time you get a little bit like, nope, that I don't want that fly in my water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, you know, you can fill your cup with like that positivity. And so one of the things that was shared to me by actually my therapist was like um whenever you're starting your day starting your day with filling your cup the best that you can because if you fill it up with a lot of positivity then you really have no room for negativity at all because your cup is only the size that it is and so like i really think and appreciate um that kind of mindfulness approach to one realize the size of your cup because i think we all come in different shapes and sizes and so do our cups that some are eight ounces 16 24 some are rocking with the large 72 ounce but like regardless of the size of your cup i think there's that intentionality that an individual has to do to put um that positivity into it and so like i'm curious around for yourself like what are some of the um routine activities that you do to make sure that your routineness, your mundaneness is filled with things that are filling your cup and making sure that it's filled with that positivity? Yeah, that is a wonderful question. <laughs> um, one of the things that I do or that I've been doing probably for the last two years is I've cut back significantly on listening to music in the car. I instead listen to some sort of personal development, whether it be um, inspirational or spiritual. Um, so I fill my cup at least for 12 minutes every day on the way to work. Um, and then I'm intentional about pouring um, more of that positivity or self, uh, 
what is it? Um, lost my train of thought. Um, on the weekends, I do more, um, if, if at all possible. And then in terms of other things that I do in my daily routine, uh, sometimes I incorporate about like 10 minutes of meditation each day. Sometimes the routine, there's not space for that or it's just changing. And so I don't, I don't do it. Um, I can definitely tell the difference. I'll also say that throughout my day, I incorporate what I call micro moments of med of meditation or mindfulness. So as I mentioned before, if I'm feeling stressed, high stress or I have to give a talk or what have you, I'll, I'll do, do something like that. Just take a breath, do a body scan, um, list things that I'm grateful for to bring myself back to, um, sort of homeostasis or back to center. Um, I think my daily routine in terms of nutrition is also a form of self-care and like mindful eating. And then I was also recently reading that uh, exercise is a form of meditation. So mm. I also do that four to five times a week. Um, so it's very much sprinkled in every day throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> and then if I need an, a little bit of extra self-care, I'll take Stella on a longer walk or I'll incorporate. I mean, I, I also go to therapy once a week and I'll incorporate, you know, uh, my support system. So I'll have lunch with someone that I trust or um, organize a group lunch or something of that nature. Mm, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I while you were talking, I was sitting here taking a little bit of notes and I realized that one of the things that you obviously shared is essentially kind of like the formula to things when it comes to um, self-care, when it comes to addressing the triggers addressing um anxiety stress things of that nature and a reoccurring theme that i'm hearing is whenever you're uncluttering and reorganizing the next thing that you do is prioritize with that and i'm hearing like that to be a constant and consistent theme throughout your day especially whenever you're like prioritizing yourself and like making sure that that is the main priority and so I, I'm curious whenever it comes to uncluttering and reorganizing your mind, whether it's through um, journaling and um, uncluttering from a stressful day or uncluttering just from a lot of um, um, factors coming to your life, right? And trying to prioritize what is going to be the focus is whenever one is in a state of true mindfulness and true presentness within themselves, being able to prioritize those things that help them get back to their center. Is that the ultimate goal that we're all trying to reach to? Um, I think so, but I feel like the ultimate goal is maybe not to get there in the first place. Mm. I think that yeah. is enlightenment is being able to uh, self-regulate to the point where the external factors of this world, this life are impenetrable, at least to the extent in which we're talking about where you just feel completely cluttered 
and like you need to step away yeah um yeah no i really like that i i really appreciate that and i think that is a a great and excellent point to end on um i have a few lightning questions if you don't mind and i will let you get back to the rest of your day of course what is your favorite relaxation or self-care activity Oh yeah. So I think I touched on these a bit, but walks with Stella are my favorite. (laughs) Uh, the gym, like lifting really heavy cooking, um, nice meals. And honestly, most recently creating mindfulness content for Instagram. I like that. Um, what is your best book recommendation? Oh my gosh. I thought about this one long and hard and it is so (laughs) difficult. I'm just going to go with the first personal development book that I read cover to cover uh, when I first started this journey. Um, And that is uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny because I feel like he does not use mindfulness. He uses like brute force. Um, But that's what got the fire under my butt and really got me to a place of like, it's time to work on myself. Yeah. Oh, I feel that. And one person you want to thank for your journey thus far. <sighs> yes. Um, so I'm going to say Dr. Michael Immerman. He was the first mentor in scientific research that I had that supported me 100% and believed in me more than I could believe in myself at that time um and that that made all the difference i don't think i would be where i am if i had not um been under the mentorship of him yeah no i totally understand well thank you for your time and i hope you have a great rest of your day thank you thank you this has been another episode of don't be coy with uncle lou As always, I'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation, as well as thank you, the listener, for joining in. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, I always appreciate your support. If you liked today's episode and ever want to listen to more, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.